0: section twenty one of neighborhood a year's life in and about an english village by tickner edwards this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter eleven november part one no mirth no cheerfulness no healthful ease no comfortable feel in any member no warmth no shine no butterflies no bees november it was the old vicar of windlecombe who ironically quoted the lines as we went along our favourite path together the path that runs between Arran river and the woods the first frosts had come and gone and left us in the midst of the usual revolutions and surprises in a single day, the ash trees had cast their whole weight of foliage to earth, green as in summer prime. Though as yet not a single leaf had fallen from the other forest trees, all had changed miraculously. The beech looked like fast smouldering fires. Every elm stood up clothed to its finger tips in shreds of gold leaf here and there in the wood a dash of vivid scarlet showed where a sycamore had been found and struck by the frost larch willow maple birch each added to the glowing prospect its individual shade of tawny brown or drab or yellow we walked in a land where for once the sunshine seemed a superfluous thing to turn the eye away for a little while from all that intolerable radiance and rest it on the oak-woods where alone a vestige of summer greenery endured or on the cool grey stems of the stripped ash-trees was a pleasure i found myself furtively snatching as we went along although i left the sentiment discreetly unexpressed the old vicar stopped removed his great white panama and mopped his forehead luxuriously no warmth no shine he repeated now where in the world could the poor soul have lived who wrote that and no bees why i can hear them now thousands of them it was true enough and with the bees were the november butterflies too if he could only have seen them in a sunny corner by the pathside stood an old pollard ash its trunk rearing up out of the thicket high over our heads like a huge double fist thrust into a green gauntlet of ivy it was only one tree among innumerable others in the wood and the same stirring scene was enacting round each of them though with everything else the season was autumn for the ivy it was the heyday of spring the great tree above us was smothered in golden blossom the nectar glistening in the sunshine a rich honey scent burdening the still air there were not only hive-bees and butterflies rioting at this the last outdoor feast of the year, but bumblebees, wasps, drone flies, every other creature that could fly and had escaped the chills of the November nights. The air was misty with the glint of their wings and full of a deep sweet song. As we passed along by the wood, we were always either drawing into the zone of this ivy music. Or leaving it behind us and never once did it forsake our path all the morning through we came at last to a spot where the woods fell back from the waterside and a stretch of wild hillocky grassland overgrown with briar and bramble bordered the stream between the willows that stood upon the bank dipping their yellow autumn tresses in the flood I could see the placid breadth of the river with its topsy-turvy vision of the glowing hills beyond, hills that, by reason of the interlacing boughs above, were directly invisible. A lark broke up almost from under our feet, and went slanting aloft into the blue sky, singing as though it were April the reverend put a hand upon my arm well what do you see he asked everything must be changed since we were here last and i see said i rather disturbed a painter's easel straddled in front of your favourite creek an easel with a three-legged stool before it but no painter I see also a little farther on a big white umbrella with the top of a sombrero just showing above it and a great cloud of tobacco smoke drifting out of it but here again no other sign of painter or man shall we go back but he was for pushing on as we approached the umbrella a throaty tenor voice was uplifted to a weird foreign strain. On passe, on passe, la dig dig, dong la dig dig, dong. Je rencontre, la dig dig. Superb, superb. If only I could excite myself to, ah. Uh, if only that tumultuous thrill which i know always presages la dig dig dong, j'offre tout de sweep my main ye la brig don't ye or at least so the gibberish sounded but now it suddenly left off A pallet went rattling to the ground. The short, squat figure of the owner of the caravan burst into view. Grews, I cannot do it. I really cannot. I am not sufficiently inspired today. I am not great enough. I... Oh, I beg your pardon. I thought it was my friend's step. Why? The water-bearer to be sure how do you do it was my first glimpse of spellthorn by light of day and i own to myself frankly that the night had been kind to him a fringe of yellow grey hair escaped in all directions beyond the brim of his hat he had a florid puffy indeterminate face eyes at once selfish and sentimental and a weak old beard still further ostracised a chin already too retiring like his companion he wore a gold watch-chain of heavy calibre with a bunch of seals and trinkets upon it but his clothes that in the darkness had seemed much tattered and torn now appeared entirely disreputable they were moreover covered with finger-marks of paint to which he was now adding as he ceremoniously welcomed us art what is it he cried removing his hat and running his fingers through his hair when presently at his earnest invitation the Reverend had sat himself down before the easel and was making a grave show of inspecting the canvas upon it. And the artist, where is he? He made a dramatic pause. Where indeed? Quoth the Reverend, grimly staring before him. You see this picture? Wagging a chrome-yellow thumb over the canvas. Nine tenths of it are the work of one exalted day, the rest the unilluminated toil of a week. Strange that we should be made so. At one moment, like Prometheus, stealing the very fire from heaven, and at the next, ah, but only an artist can really comprehend. He filled his pipe with a resigned, quiet sadness. Now, grues that is my friend who is travelling with me, he went on. grues poor fellow, he never realises the difficulties in his path, because, because, let me put it in the kindest way, because, well, the truth is, poor Grues has mistaken his calling. No better fellow in the world, you know a hard plodder always trying always doing his best but but you see that brings us back to what i said just now art and the artist where will you find them and what are they a slight cough sounded in our rear looking round i saw that the long lean man had returned to his easel unmarked by any of us the reverend got abruptly to his feet well said he you have a great responsibility supreme gifts in a man mean that much will be required of him so bend your back to it good day as we passed by the other easel its owner looked up pleasantly, but his brush kept busily to work. "'Don't go yet,' he entreated. "'I am so glad to—' "'But you won't mind, will you, if I go on with—' "'You see, I have not had very long at it this morning. Spelthorne, he was getting so anxious about the stew, "'that I—I I had to run back to the caravan, and—' or else he would have it wouldn't have done of course to let him go himself when once he has got into the mood the slightest little thing he rambled on thus scarcely ever finishing a sentence and all the while dabbing away industriously at his sketch he too i had never yet beheld in daylight but, unlike his friend, sunshine rather improved his appearance than otherwise. It could not fill up the gaps in his coat, nor had it a lustrating effect upon his linen, yet it revealed in his long, cadaverous face and in his mild, sad eyes a delicacy, a sensibility that I had not remarked in them before. As he talked, The old vicar studied his voice attentively. "'Spellthorne,' he went on, in his curious, disjointed, breathless way, Spelthorne, his work is so immeasurably, he has such a demand for it that—and I am always so glad, of course, to do any little thing to save him trouble. I—' I really think no man in the world ever had a better friend. The Reverend was standing close behind him now. He laid a hand gently on Greuze's dilapidated shoulder. Don't hurry, he said. At least don't hurry with your mind. Above all, don't worry. It is all coming beautifully. When did you see your doctor last? THE QUESTION, UNEXPECTED AS IT WAS BY MYSELF, SEEMED TO SURPRISE GRUES INFINITELY MORE. THE BLOOD GOT UP INTO TWO BRIGHT POINTS IN HIS CHEEKS. HIS BRUSHES RATTLED AGAINST HIS PALATE. HE LOOKED ROUND AT THE OLD VICAR TREMULOUSLY. DOCTOR? WHY DO YOU... WHAT MAKES YOU THINK I... OH... "'I am very well indeed, never better.' "'He stopped, looking up into the sightless, kindly blue eyes "'that appeared to be as steadily gazing down into his. "'There was a moment's silence, "'and then, if I ever saw real untrammeled joy "'spring into a human face, I saw it in his. "'Do you really think so?' he cried you think i well sometimes lately i have thought myself that spellthorn's voice grumbled out from behind the umbrella now my dear gruse have i not frequently told you that though i am willing to lend you anything i have i always expect gruse sprang to his feet it is his cadmium he whispered horrified i borrowed it and never how very annoying for him now there is a strange thing said the reverend musingly as we trudged on our way together a man well on in a rapid decline and neither knowing nor caring about it as glad indeed to hear the thing confirmed as if someone had left him a legacy a month did you say then he may never go out of windlecombe by the road we made a long day's round taking meadow riverside wood and downland in our walk and reaching home again only when the lights were beginning to star in the misty coombe for we had a special object in our journey to the townsman it may well seem as fruitless a task to seek wild flowers in november as to go gathering nuts in may well here is a list of what we found in one november day's ramble about a single village in highland sussex fifty-seven distinct species and of many we could have gathered not single flowers but whole handfuls had we willed, nor is the list an exhaustive one, either for the district or the time of year, bringing more eyesight, leisure, and diligence to the task, no doubt a fuller inventory could be made in any mild season. dandelion, furs, red dead nettle, white dead nettle, marguerite, poppy, musk thistle. Charlock, Buttercup, Red Clover, White Clover, Pimpernel, Calamint, Blackberry, Mayweed, Field Madder, Sandwort, White Campion, Red Campion, Hawkweed, Pennycress, Cress, Hedge Mustard, Napweed, Mallow, Harebell, Daisy, Hogweed, Yarrow, Sheepspit, Marjoram, Cudweed, Groundsel, nipplewort, small bindweed, ragwort, silverweed, persicary, mouse ear, strawberry, teasel, sunspurge, dwarf spurge, hedge parsley, rockrose, crane's cranesbill heather, betony, viper's bugloss, burnet saxifrage, sow thistle, wild pansy, shepherd's purse. Herb Robert Nonsuch Ivy Chickweed Veronica There has come a spell of chilly overcast weather, and the long dark evenings have settled upon us at a stroke. At twilight today, as I came into this silent floored, comfortable room and lit the candles on my work table, it seems strange that I should do so and yet the ordinary life and traffic of the village be still going on outside hitherto so it appeared the village quiet had fallen always before the need for candle-light i had looked out before drawing the curtains close and heard not a step stirring seen the windows dark in the lower stories of the cottages and here and there a pale light glimmering behind the drawn blinds of upper rooms for your true sussex villager hates to sleep in the dark but to-night some new order of things seemed to have been suddenly ordained footsteps hurried or leisurely voices old and young the rumble of wheels even the distant chime of tom clemmer's hammer all the sounds that go to make up the common rumour of workaday life in a village were abroad in the air though already the hills were lost in the gloaming the white chrysanthemums by the garden gate were nothing but a dim blotch on the murky autumn night i lit the candles home-made candles of yellow beeswax and set them on their little mats of plaited green leather i got out a new choir of foolscap sobering in its empty whiteness its word-hungry look i arranged the ruler the old cut-glass inkpot the painted leaden frog that serves for paperweight the elephant that carries a pen wiper as heldar ashtray and tobacco jar and sheaf of favourite pipes, all in their proper stations. I drew the old oak elbow chair sideways to the table. Sideways because that was non-committal. Too squarely business-like an approach in the outset, as I know of old time and cost, often scatters the fairies into the next county. And you may chew to shreds a whole quiverful of goosequills before they again come crowding and whispering curiously about your ears. But having made all these exact preparations, I chanced to turn to the open window for a final look down the street, and knew at once that I was lost. It was the steady far-off song from Tom Clemmer's anvil that overcame me more than anything and the red glow amidst the elder bells that overhung the forge but all else conspired in one basilisk-like lure to get me forth the busy wending to and fro and the cheery commerce of tongues in the darkness footsteps and voices that i knew as well as i knew my own twinkling lights in cottages the illumined windows of the little sweetstuff shop the cobbler's den the inn the village store the church lit up for evensong and the bell quietly tolling as it seemed somewhere far up in the black void of the sky again the smell of the night that moist earthy fragrance of decaying leaves and tang of frost and pungent scent of simmering fire logs from stacks new broached on these first chilly evenings in november it all ranged itself together before me as something ever present and constant in my life that i too often disregarded took for granted the jumble of thatch and red-tiled roof and grey flint wall Sheep and lowing kine and cackling poultry, bevy of kindly human hearts, sharp tongues and willing hands, all wedged up together in one green crevice of the hills, and calling themselves collectively by the old South Saxon name of Windlecombe. End of section twenty-one